Morning Church, actually good afternoon <laughs> and happy blessed new year. It's a privilege for me to be here and I appreciate very much the invitation. I appreciate the kind introduction uh, by your wonderful pastor, Pastor Dwight. I've been here in this campus <clears throat> long ago, way a hundred years ago when I was young. And it's great to be back. Uh, I do know a few people around, <clears throat> but again, that's not the subject today. I just want to say thank you for inviting me. And let's bow our heads and have a short prayer again. Father, we acknowledge that we depend on you and we ask for your presence and your spirit. May it all be for your glory and may our heart be transformed. In Jesus' precious name we pray and thank you, Lord. Amen. <clears throat> Many years ago when I started ministry, in my very first district, I, uh, I thought I was somebody. Uh, young people do sometimes believe that. Even some older people believe they are somebody. And uh, I said, you know, I have this degree and this degree and I know that and I have accomplished that and I had this business and I made so much money and I have connections, so I must be somebody. And so uh, I uh, got called by the church and I was sent to my first district. And they sent me, I expected them to give me the biggest church. They gave me the last smallest church in the mountains. Those people didn't even know how to speak right. They spoke different Romanian than I spoke. And so I got there in the mountains and it was a train that was all type train. That train was smoke, you know, and like in movies. Like, you know, and I got off the train and it was raining for a week. And I had Giorgio Armani suit and uh, Calvin Klein, or I don't remember, Ralph Lauren shoes. And the mud was so deep. When I st stepped into the mud, when I took my foot off, the shoes stayed in the mud. Oh, I hated the location and without even realizing a few bad words came out of my mouth and my wife looks around and says, honey, you are a pastor now. <laughs> and I, I said, what am I doing here? They should have sent me to the nicest church in the location, in the conference, but they didn't. They obviously don't appreciate me enough and so I got so upset and I go to the church and I tell them, I said, you need to work. You need commitment. You need to fix the roads. <laughs> And then I said, you need to be committed to prayer. You need to be committed to study of the word. You need to be committed to service, to the community. And you need to be committed ultimately to God. And they are looking to me like, what is he talking about, you know? And I said, we will do evangelism every year. And this is how we prepare. And I told them, I said, God has a plan. He says, I know the plan I have for you. And God has a plan, it would be very sad to call yourself a Christian and not know God's plan. And you would go to God with your plan, asking him to bless your plan, instead of going to him asking that he would reveal his plan. Don't ever expect a blessing for your plan, rather seek for his plan. And I said, let's seek God's plan. I was preaching and nothing happened. I was like, are they like so cold? They, don't they get it? And I preached again and nothing happened. And my wife talked to me after the sermon and she says, Honey, you need to pray a little more. <laughs> I said, Honey, I am praying. She says, Obviously not enough. <laughs> I said, What are you talking about? If you want, you need to pray. And she says, Honey, the church does nothing. That means that it's your fault. It's the pastor. I said, No, it's their fault. And she says, No, 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 no. Stop blaming others. You need to change. I said, You know, you can be a pastor. Leave me alone. <laughs> I said to my wife, well, I went back to the church and I said, these people are good for nothing. They don't even understand my vocabulary. I need to speak simple to them. I said, God gave you gifts, I said. And I said, in the body of Christ, if you are the eye or the mouth or the legs, you need to use the gift because if you don't, the whole body is handicapped. The whole church is sick. You, need, you cannot bury the gifts. God gave you gifts. He will make you responsible. In all parables, people that didn't use the gifts, they didn't make it to heaven. You need to, God, you need to use your gifts that God gave you. We'll have evangelism. Okay, who wants to work? 
nobody moved. After I finished preaching in that church, there were two crazy people. Literally. I'm not talking about me. Other crazy people. And so, there were two crazy people. They were literally sick. They would catch you, grab your hand, and smile, and do nothing. And they would not let you go. <laughs> I said, I'm in hurry. <laughs> and they would not let you go. And so I would have to avoid them. After the, the whole sermon that I poured my heart into, guess who committed to service? The two crazy people. They came to me and they said, Pastor, you said that everybody has to use the gifts. And God has a plan for everybody. That includes the two of us too. Huh? What, what could I say? I mean, I, I did say that. So I said, yeah. Okay, tell us what to do for evangelism. I said, oh my, how can I get rid of these two people? They will do harm to the church. I mean, if visitors come and see them greeting, people turn around. Uh, what shall I do to give them some work and get rid of them? I said, I have the plan. You need to pray. Because that's what my wife told me before the sermon. So I, it came easily. He said, you need to pray. And they said, oh, okay, okay, okay. I said, now you go. Okay, I said, go. Okay. And they left. Their father told me they got home. And they talked for about four hours. And they said, huh, huh, huh. he said that we work. And he said that we pray. And he said that we pray. But what do we pray for? Well, we have evangelists, so we need to pray for evangelists. But what is evangelist? Evangelism is for people. So we need to pray for people. But people don't know that we pray for them. Then we, we need to go to people. So guess what they did? In a small town, 16,000 households, they went to the first house. They knocked in the door and they said, Hey, 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 good morning. The pastor said that we need to pray. And the guy says, Okay. Well, we want to pray for you, but we don't know what to pray for you for. And he said, well, I am broke. I had cows. My cows died. My last cow is sick. The vet said the cow will die. I have no other source of income. Would you pray for my cow? And they said, Lord, heal the cow. Bye. That was a, the shortest prayer ever. No introduction, no conclusion, no nothing. Just, you know. And they left. They go to the second house. The pastor said that he need to pray. What do you want us to pray for? Well, my wife left me. Lord, bring her back. Bye. <laughs> they went to the third house. They went to the fourth house. In a month, they finished the whole town. And they came back to me. And they said, Pastor, we prayed. What do you want us to do next? <laughs> oh, I said to myself, there was peace in the church for a whole month. I said, I want you to pray more. Now I was teaching them. They said, okay. Guess what they did? They went back to the first house. They said, the pastor said that we need to pray more. What should they pray for? And the guy says, listen, somehow my cow recovered. Thank you so much. They said, Lord, thank you for healing the cow. Bye. They went to the second house, to the third, to the fourth, to the fifth, to the whole town. A month later, they came back to me. Pastor, we prayed. What should they do next? I said, the Bible says pray without ceasing. Go and leave me alone and just keep praying. They went back to the first house. And the guy says, not my pastor, not my family, not my friends. Nobody in my lifetime prayed for me so much as you guys do. You must be God's church to care so deeply for the city. Nobody cares so much. You keep coming. I really want to join your church. And they said, we don't eat pork. And the guy says, I don't care what you eat. I'm going to eat whatever you eat. But I care that you care. They went to the second house. They went to the third house. After another month, we had evangelism. The whole church brought two people. They brought 46, out of which 44 got baptized. When my people pray, if God can use a donkey, God can use anybody. And we have no excuse. But sometimes we are so comfortable that we would rather do anything else 
but commit to prayer. The disciples devoted themselves to prayer. And after they spent time praying, 5,000, 3,000 daily people were added to the church. Why there is no victory? Why there is no power? Why there is no growth? Why there is so much coldness in the churches and in the land? God can do through one what he can do through a million because it's not based on what you can do but it's based on his power alone. If you and me learn the meaning of prayer, grabbing God's hand and saying, I cannot do it, but I know you can do it. God's promises are not short. God has never changed. He who split the sea he who turned the sun back. He who resurrected the dead. He can do it again and he is waiting to do it again. I had in my first district in America a very, very rich guy in one of my churches. Wonderful guy. Just absolutely godly man. I loved him so much. And that guy was extremely well-to-do. And he committed himself to supporting God's work. I said, Pastor, I would love to do more, but I don't know what else to do except to be a blessing with what God has given me. And I said to him, you can do more. You need to reach your neighbors because I cannot ever reach your millionaire's neighbors, but you can. He said, Pastor, those people don't need God. I said, oh, you are so wrong. Everybody needs God. Poor people and rich people have cancer. Poor people and rich people have divorce. Poor people and rich people get sick. Poor people and rich people have kids that don't talk to them. Poor, you follow me? And I said, they need Jesus. They just don't know and you don't know how to reach them. And he said, well, teach me how to reach them. I said, pray. He said, oh, I have been praying. I said, give me an average time-wise how much you pray a day for them. He said, well... I don't know, never measured. I said, that's the reason you don't know, because you don't pray. If you pray, you would know. I said, how much do you pray for you? He said, well, I don't know either. I said, you kidding me? You tell me that you don't pray for you either? The Bible says that you should love your neighbor just the way you love yourself. That means that if you pray for you one hour, you should pray for the neighbor one hour too. If you pray for you more than for him, then you love yourself more than him, Period. And so I said to him, you need to pray daily until God gives you the plan. He says, but what is the plan? I said, God gives you the plan. He said, but can you give me some programs? I said, no, God can give you the programs. <laughs> I used to have a Kia Rio. Anybody knows what is a Kia Rio? It's like Mr. Bean's car. It's a little, Mr. Bean has a Cooper, but anyway. It's, it's a little matchbox, a little car that you keep your knees in your mouth when you drive. And my wife hit the right side of the car. My father-in-law hit the left side of the car. My friend backed up into a truck and hit the back of the car. The car was beaten all over. The brakes started to break. And the, the brakes made a noise like... And the faster I would drive... When I would go to church, the whole church knew that the pastor is coming because of the noise of the car. And so I went to visit my rich guy. When I went to visit him, he lived in an extremely rich neighborhood around Crystal Lake, Illinois. And I mean, million dollar homes, you know, you talk about two million, three million, big mansions around the lake. And when I got to the gate of the neighborhood, the guard there says, you are in the wrong neighborhood. I said, no, I'm in the right neighborhood. I am visiting so-and-so. He says, hold on. And he called my church member. And he says, yeah, that's my pastor. Let him in. I was driving with my Kia Rio between Porsche and Mercedes and Lexus and, you know, and I... <laughs> looking around the big homes and expensive cars and I got to my friend and he says look around these people don't need Jesus I said they do you just don't know how to reach them well but I, I want to reach them I said no you don't if you did you would spend four hours a, a day praying for them he said what I don't have four hours I said yeah that's what we don't have we don't have time for prayer and he says well 
I'm going to pray for them every day half an hour. I said, praise the Lord for half an hour. I take half an hour. That's good enough for me. I said, I tell you, when you pray half an hour, after a month, you are going to double it to one hour. I know that. After two months, he called me. He says, I got to the point that I am praying two hours for them every morning. And he says, I am praying name by name for them and their families and so on. All the neighbors. I said, praise the Lord. Well, he called me back and we started to pray together for his neighborhood. And we prayed together and then he served me Greek food. His wife is from Greece. Oh, when he gave me that kalamata uh, olives and, and feta cheese, I know it's not healthy, but I don't care. It's so good. That Greek salad is to die for. It's just amazing. When, he, when they gave me those stuffed cabbage rolls and, and the, the baklava, I ate until I could not move. I would need a crane to get up. And so I ate. And then he says to me, do you see what you do? I said, no. You love the food? I said, yes. That's it. God gave me the plan. I said, what's the plan? Americans love food. I said, yes, we all do, don't we? He says, I'm going to invite them to eat together. And then I can talk to them. I said, hey, part A is good. Part B is bad. To invite them to eat is good. Don't tell them about Jesus. Just invite them to eat. Build friendship. Only you can lead a, a friend to Christ. You cannot lead a stranger. Invite them to eat and build friendship. And then when they ask for more, then you talk about Christ. Okay. What if they ask? Don't tell them. Let them beg for it. Okay. Okay. He invited them to eat. He sees the neighbor. He says, good morning. Good morning. How are you doing? I'm good. You? Good. They lie. They are not good. But anyway, that's happy Sabbath, happy Sabbath. But they are not happy. Anyway. So, how are you doing? Good. How are you doing? Good. And he says, you know, neighbor, it's my anniversary. And we prepared food. Would you want to eat with us? No, I have no time. Now, let me tell you what we have. We have feta cheese and kalamata olives in Greek salad. And we have stuffed cabbage rolls. And we have baklava. And the neighbor opened his mouth and he had drops in his mouth. And he says, I'm coming. <laughs> and so, they ate together. And, and my, my church member says, in my house, nobody eats before we pray. And the neighbor says, I don't believe in God. You don't have to. Just close your eyes. Now he says, what should I pray for? He says, well, I don't believe in prayer, but if you pray, my wife is separated. We live in the same house, but we don't talk. Our kids don't talk to us, to her or to me. They are always with friends or on cell phone. So my church member prayed for the neighbor's family, and then they ate together. After they ate, he says, let's play a game. And the neighbor says, what? Oh, let's play Settlers of... Anybody know Settlers of Catan? Anybody? The game is amazing. You can play the whole night. Anyway, and so he says, let's play Settlers of Catan. They played Settlers of Catan and then they played Monopoly. And the guy says, you know, this is crazy. I've not played a game since I was in college. He says, that's the reason you are so stressed. Let's play a game. They played the game. They laughed. They relaxed. And then the guy says, you know, I did not feel so good in the last 20 some years. This is the first night in 20 some years that I have no stress. So the neighbor goes home smiling. As he enters the home, the kids look to him and says, Dad, you are smiling. What's wrong with you? <laughs> when your kids are asking what is wrong with you because you are smiling, there is something wrong with you. What's wrong with you? And he says, what? I'm smiling. I'm happy. Why are you happy? Well, I went to the neighbor and we ate this and that and he describes the whole food and we ate that and the kids are listening and then we played Monopoly and we played and they said, Dad, are you sick? You played? You always come home and you work. You are on the computer. You never play. You never talk to anybody. You played? He says, yes. And they say, can we come too? The wife comes to him and the wife says, what did you do to the kids? They talk to you. He says, well, I went to the neighbor and we ate this and that and we played. And the wife says, are you sick? You played? Yes. And the wife says, can I come too? He goes to talk to my church member and says, my wife and my kids will have to come. Can we do it again next Sunday? Next Sunday, they come together with the whole family and they eat and they pray and they play. And they say, we love it. Can we do it again? Do you follow me? You, you there? Listening. And then the neighbor talks to the neighbor that they were playing golf together and says, you know what? My kids talk to me, my wife talks to me again. And that's all. Because we went to the neighbor and ate and played games together. And he says, I would like to come too. In short time, 11 families of millionaires were studying together. 
Two years later, we had a church of over 40 millionaires baptized there. It's wonderful to be the pastor of a millionaire church. They drive you in, in Porsche, you know, it's absolutely amazing. But anyway, God can use anybody in any situation when they commit to prayer. Our plans have no value. Don't get me wrong, we should be organized. But our plans have no value without the power of prayer. And we have lost the concept of dedication to prayer. We have lost the concept that without God, we are nothing. God has a plan for you. God called Israel to be a kingdom of priests to all nations. He called them that their house should be a house of prayer for all nations. God called Abraham to bless him that he may be a blessing for all nations. And Israel, they kind of closed themselves within themselves and considered the others not important, unclean. I remember we had a Christmas program when I was small in our church. And I went to my dad and I said, we have Christmas program. We prepared all the songs. We prepared the choir. We prepared everything. And my father said, who did you invite? I said, nobody. And my father says, who do you do the program for? I said, for us. And my father said, son, if you have a cow and the cow makes milk and the cow drinks the milk, why do you have a cow? <laughs> I said, what do you mean? He says, if you have a church and you make programs and you listen to the programs, why do you make programs? You don't do harvest in the barn. You do harvest in the field and bring the harvest in the barn. If God gave you gifts and you go to church and you keep Sabbath and you eat healthy and you uh, sing in the choir and you return tithe and you read the Bible but you don't fulfill the plan that God has for you this year, why do you go to church? God called the church for a clear mission. Israel rejected the mission and God rejected them as called as a nation, not as individuals. Then God called you and in the New Testament it says that we are a kingdom of priests. And if we don't do it, the stones will do it. And so, God called them to be a force of attraction to the fallen world, to show God's love to the world. They rejected that. Therefore, Today, if you hear God's voice, do not harden your hearts. Now listen carefully. Four lessons that we will learn today from Israel. Procrastinate or urgency, called out or love for Egypt, unbelief or faith, going up or going down. Procrastinate versus urgency. Today, if you hear his voice. Listen, when I was young, when I would go to school, I would go to the small market. It was called small market. And in the small market, there was a guy called Bayram Hassan. He was from Turkey. This guy, Bayram Hassan, had three types of ice cream. He had vanilla ice cream, chocolate ice cream, and pistachio ice cream. It was so good. Even now, when I think about it, I want it. And this guy was crazy. He was screaming loud. Today you pay. Tomorrow is free. Oh, I was so happy. I paid, I got an ice cream, I ate it, and next day I said, give me my free ice cream. He said, son, today you pay. Tomorrow is free. I said, yes, I paid yesterday and I came today because today is tomorrow. <laughs> he said, no, son, today is today, tomorrow is tomorrow. He said, no, 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 yesterday was today, and today is tomorrow. He said, you lost your mind. <laughs> he says, yesterday was yesterday, today is today, and tomorrow is tomorrow. You came today, you need to come tomorrow. And in order to get a free one tomorrow, you need to pay today. I said, okay, one more time, but tomorrow you, I'll get my ice cream. So I paid again, and next day I said, give me my free ice cream. He says, you need to come today and pay, and tomorrow for free. I said, I came today. Yes, today you pay. I said, oh, come on, man. When is free? He said, tomorrow. 
I said, when is tomorrow? He says, tomorrow never comes. <laughs> Why in the world would we Christians think that we are going to start to pray tomorrow? We are going to start to study the Bible tomorrow. We are going to start serving tomorrow. We will make better decisions for our families tomorrow. If you really want to do it, why don't you do it today? Oh, Balaam said, Lord, let me disobey today and go, and I will obey you tomorrow when I get there. Ah, uh-uh. If you really want to obey God, you obey him today. Why not tomorrow? Why today? Very simple. Very simple. First resistance to God's spirit will lead to a second resistance. This way we harden our hearts. He says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden. Because when you play games with the Holy Spirit, you become insensitive to the Holy Spirit's voice and nothing would move you. You get used with the Holy Spirit's voice. Don't play games with the Holy Spirit. That's dangerous religion. If the Holy Spirit puts in your heart to make a decision today, He will also give you the strength for it. Do it. When God gives you something, He will provide the means. Do it. Oh, I'm going to start praying tomorrow. No, 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 no. Start praying now. Today, if you hear His voice, do not procrastinate. Don't start tomorrow. Called out of Egypt or loving Egypt. So what happened to Israel? Israel was in Egypt. 430 years. Moses was sent to call them out. Why, why to deliver? Why to get them out? The Bible says to worship God. That's, that's what Moses said. Let them go three days in the wilderness to worship and serve. To worship God, to serve, and sure to give them the promised land. What is to worship? What is to serve? To worship is vertical. And to serve is horizontal. You never really worship God if you worship him only one day a week. Worship should be every day. Worship is not in the church. It's all the time, including in the church. If you don't continually connect with God, you don't worship God. As long as you are not connected, you worship something different, but not God. And serve is what you are called to do. To serve, to save, to be a light, to be a light. Not to hide their light. To be the salt. If you don't serve, you you can say you love God. It's easy. Satan can sing the song, Oh, how I love Jesus. You know, Satan has a good voice. But it's something to say and something else to prove. How do you prove that we really love God unless you love those around you? And only as you worship all the time and serve all the time, you receive the promised land. And so what happened? Israel got out of Egypt through amazing miracles and they got to the Red Sea. Red Sea is the symbol for baptism. It says in the Bible that they were all baptized into the sea. You remember the Bible verse? When God calls you out of Egypt, you get baptized. Is that good or bad? Why do you hesitate? It's good. Is that enough? We have this concept that if we deliver a baby, we can let the baby survive. Oh, the baby can get a job, the baby can wash him. No, the baby needs the diaper changed. The baby needs to be burped and nurtured and so on. You cannot baptize somebody and lead, let them alone. After baptism is not the end of the story, it's only the beginning. That's the reason people come and go. Because they get no nurture. We get baptized and then we do nothing. We think it's the end of the story. No, no, no. After baptism, you need to grow and get rid of the diaper. And so, they got baptized, but they didn't think about the next steps of growth. And so what happened? As soon as they got baptized, uh, they started to murmur. We don't like the manna, and we don't like the water. We don't like, uh, we cannot serve, these nations are too big for us, and we don't like Moses. People who don't grow 
blame others for their own problems. When you blame others, it's you that have a problem. Because if you are a grown, mature Christian, you don't blame or judge, but pray and help. God did not call you to judge. God called you to love and to serve. He is the judge and he doesn't need your help. He does a pretty good job by himself. When you blame others, doesn't matter if it's your spouse or the pastor, you need to repent. They started to blame everything around, including Moses, this leader, and they wanted to stone Moses. So Moses goes to God and Moses says, they blame me. They want to kill me. And God says to Moses, they don't blame you. They rebel actually against me. Why? Who gave them Moses? Every time you murmur because of trials, every time you murmur because of uh, challenges, every time you murmur because of food or water or the task that you have to do, or you murmur against the leaders, regardless who, starting from pastor, conference, union, whatever, every time you murmur and blame, it's you that have a problem. Let me explain something. Nothing happens by chance. The Bible says that all, how many things? What means all? All, 100%. All things work together for the good of those who love the Lord. What means all? It means that if you go through a challenge, regardless with your boss or in your job or in your health, if you go through a challenge, God who is in control has the power to say no. As when Satan went to God and said about Job, let me attack Job. God could have said no, but God said yes, you can touch him except his life. So if you go through a trial, guess what? God allowed it. If God allowed it, it means that you need it. So instead of praying that God would solve it, why would you ask God to remove it if God allowed it? It's nonsense. If God allowed it, stop praying that God would remove it. Rather pray that God would grow you through it so you learn the lesson and pass the class. Lord, if you allow me to go through trials, trials work out patience. It means I need patience. Trials work out dependence on you. I need to depend on you. Trials work out faith. I need faith. Trials work out love. I need love. Teach me the lessons that I need. That's the reason we have trials. And so, they, instead of growing, started to blame the others around for their lack of spiritual maturity. And God allowed challenges. And so they were blaming the challenges. They were actually blaming God. Each time we murmur, we are hardening our hearts. And we procrastinate the necessary change. Let's move on. They focused too much on problems and forgot to focus on their mission. Let's move on. Are you saved? Man, only about a few people answered. I will pray for you. Can you get salvation? Amen. Now about 20% answered. How do you acquire? You don't acquire. How do you get saved? Well, let me explain. Israel got out of Egypt. And then they went to the wilderness. And then they got in the promised land. When they got out of Egypt, that was justification. When they went through the wilderness, that was sanctification. And then when they got in the promised land, that was glorification. Justification is salvation from the penalty of sin. You are considered righteous, but you are not righteous yet. Abraham believed and he was considered righteous. But then he lied that his wife is his sister. He was not righteous yet. But God considered him by grace. When you get baptized, you are considered righteous, but you are only a baby. You are not grown yet. That's when you get out of Egypt. When you go through the wilderness, that's sanctification. When God is growing you to the fullness of statue of Christ. And when you get in the promised land, that's glorification. Now, justification takes a day. Sanctification takes 40 years or a life. Glorification takes an eternity. Now, are you saved? Well, let me explain. It doesn't matter. 
If you are in the beginning of the process right here, you just got out of Egypt, or you just started the wilderness and you are here, or you are in the middle of the wilderness and you are here, or you are out of the wilderness almost at the Canaan border, at the Jericho border and you are here, doesn't matter if you are the thief on the cross or if you are me, I'm a little better than you, I'm in the middle. Or if you are uh, Paul or Mother Teresa and you say, I have fought a good fight, it doesn't matter where you are in the process as long as you are in the process. It matters that you are in the process. Because the Bible says, he who has present continued tense. Now, he who has the Son has life. As long as you are in Jesus, you are in the process. And when Jesus is in you, he is working on you. He is working on you. You remember the song? He is working on you. As long as he is working on you, doesn't matter where you are. You are not saved by what you are. You are saved by who he is in you. And so it's not that you are here and you are righteous and you deserve to be saved. Nobody deserves to be saved. It is that Jesus is in you. And if you are the thief on the cross who never did anything good, and he says, please remember me. He who calls the name of the Lord shall be saved. And the tense there is he who keeps on calling. If you invite God's presence daily in your life, as long as you are connected, you are saved. And so let me tell you about me. I have been saved, justified. I am being saved, sanctified, because he is working on me. And I will be saved, glorified, because I call Jesus daily. He who has the Son, Christ in you, the hope of glory. This is how you can be saved. Not by what you do, but by inviting him daily. Oops, our time is up. What happened after the Red Sea? Mount Sinai, God gave them the, the law. Which came first? Getting out of Egypt or receiving the law? Which one is first? Getting out of Egypt. Stop trying to obey in order to be saved. You need to be saved in order to obey. You cannot make apples to deserve to be an apple tree. You need to be an apple tree and then you make apples. You cannot make good deeds and to be a Christian. You need to become a son, a daughter of God and then the good fruits would come. So, what was next? Unbelief versus faith. They got to a place called Kadesh Barna. You remember? And Moses sent out 12 spies. And they came back and they said, Oh, it has big mangoes like the wheel of the, of the chariot. It has big grapes like the, the people. It has big tomatoes like the pumpkins. Oh, it's just up honey and milk. The country is amazing, but the country has giants. And we are like locusts. And they are going to eat us alive. And they are going to kill us. We cannot do it. We cannot do it. I cannot get victory. I cannot baptize anybody. I cannot do it. Were they right or wrong? No, they were right. They said, we cannot do it. They were right. But they were wrong. You know why? They forgot who split the sea. They forgot who gave them water from the rock. They forgot who gave them bread from heaven. They forgot who gave them victory over Sihon and Og. They forgot. We have nothing to fear unless we shall forget how God has led us in the past. When we put our eyes on problems, on giants, instead of putting our eyes on Christ, we are afraid and despair and get depressed and lose the battle. They put their eyes on giants instead of putting their eyes on Christ. And so, how long should it take from Red Sea to Jericho? Well, I asked the guide and he said, 14 to 17 days, 17 days walk. 17 days. How long did it take them? 40? Are you kidding me? 40? Around and around and around and around to go nuts and lose your mind going around? Why? Why are we still here? Why are we still here? God did not design his people to wander 40 years in the wilderness. He promised to lead them directly, establish them happy and holy and healthy. But because of unbelief, God could not fulfill his promise. For 40 years, unbelief kept them 
in the wilderness. The same sins have delayed modern Israel from entering into the heavenly Canaan. It is not God's promise at fault. It is unbelief, unconsecration, worldliness, strife, murmuring among God's people that keep us in this world. Unbelief. A drunk guy walks by Noah's ark. And the door is open and God says to Noah, whoever enters will be saved. And the drunk guy gets in the ark by mistake. And Noah closes the door. Is he saved or lost? Why? He doesn't deserve it. Do you deserve it? Do you understand that it is the faith in the Lord that saves you, not what you do? And when you invite the Lord in your life, His presence in you gives you the strength and transformation that is necessary to bear good fruits. And so, it was easy for God to pull Israel out of Egypt, but difficult for God to put Egypt out of Israel. I'm going to jump over. You know how many left Egypt? And you know how many entered in Canaan? Don't you? Why? Unbelief. If you daily behold Him, if you daily call His presence in your life, If you keep contemplating, reflecting upon his life, his sacrifice, his character, his promises, if you take your eyes off the problems, off the sins, off yourself, and put your eyes fully on him again and again every time you struggle, as long as you keep your eyes on him, you will keep making progress. And he will keep working on you faithfully. He is patient with you. We are not patient with ourselves. If you keep calling him, he is able and he will finish what he started. And he will save the uttermost. He saved the woman at the well. He saved Rahab. He can save anybody that calls his presence daily. I want to close with a story. Our time passed and I, I, um, I want to close with a story. I was uh, in one of my districts and uh, I was preaching and a lady came and the lady uh, had blue, pink, purple hair. I've never seen anything like that in my life. And the hair was up like this. And she had rings, 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 rings all over. And she had black pants dropped too much. And she had a chain here. When she stepped into the church, I was like, whoa, you know. But <laughs> and I was preaching that if you contemplate on Christ, as long as you keep calling him, he will never give up on you. As long as you make a decision, you may not be able to do it. But say, Lord, help me make your priority. Help me start the deal. Help me pray. Help me walk with you. As long as you call him, you may fall. He's going to get you up again. The righteous would fall seven times and he gets up again. And he's going to keep growing you. And you may not see as you don't see the wind. You may not see the change. But two, three, five years down the road, you look back and you say, he has been working on me patiently because he is good. And I said, God will never fail. You are secure in his hands. When you fail, you fail because you look to self instead of looking to him. You look to problems instead of looking to him. And as soon as I finished my sermon, she stepped through the door out. And in our church, it was a rule that no visitor would live unprayed for. And the saints were busy singing the song and nobody prayed for her. So I ran after her. The saints thought that I would run to the restroom, but I don't care. So I ran after her. And she sees me and she runs to the car and she opens the door and I hold the door closed and she says, I want to go home. I said, you'll go home, calm down. I don't want to talk. I said, I'll do the talking. She says, I don't believe in God. I said, then you are drunk. She says, I'm not drunk. I said, yes, you are. She said, I'm not. I said, what are you doing here? This is a church. This is not a movie theater. (laughs) If you came here... Because you are drunk by mistake, I understand. But if you don't believe in God and you are sober and you came to church, there is something wrong with you. 
She says, oh no, I believe in God. I just don't believe in prayer. I said, okay, so we passed the first step. You do believe in God. But you don't believe in prayer. No, I don't believe in prayer. I said, I know why. Why? God doesn't answer people that are Americans. He hates Americans. Blue eyes, what's that? If you are a Romanian and you have different color of eyes and hair, he loves you. But Americans? She says, you are crazy. God answers every prayer regardless what country you are from. I said, "Uh uh-huh, I got you. You told me that you don't believe in prayer and now you tell me that God answers every prayer. Make up your mind. She says, "Uh, uh, I I, I do believe in prayer. It's just God doesn't answer my prayer. I said, lady, God answers your prayer. Just differently than what you pray. Better than what you pray. And better than what you expect. No, he has never done. And then she said, for 16 years I've been in drugs. For 16 years I keep injecting every 2-3 hours drugs in my veins. I've been in rehab, I've been in prison. I prayed, God never gave me victory. I said, lady, what have you prayed for? She says, victory over drugs. God, I am a drug addict, give me victory over drugs. I said, lady, you fix your eyes on drugs. After you confess, take your eyes off drugs, put your eyes on Christ, and get busy praying about Christ and stop praying about you. The more you focus on you, the more problems you have. The more you focus on God, the more you are transformed. Keep your eyes on God, not on drugs. She says, what do you mean? I said, you know what? You are too concerned with self, and that's the reason you keep failing. Forget self. Nobody cares if you live or die. You are nobody, I am nobody. I want you to give a Bible study and save somebody else. She says, what about me? I said, nobody cares. If you die, I'll give the best funeral sermon ever. (laughs) I said, just just save somebody else and forget you. She said, "Ah, ah, what's the connection with drugs? I said, it's the whole world of connections. When you save somebody, God doesn't need you to save somebody. But as you serve others, Illinois says that you grow. And God called you that by serving, you become like Jesus. So I want you to serve others in order for you to grow. She says, so what shall I do? Give a Bible study and save somebody. She says, I don't know how to teach. I said, good, because I don't want you to teach them. And I told her, you go, give, leave. Second time you go, pray, leave. Third time you go, and I told her what to do. I gave her the Bible study, I gave her the address, and she left. Fifteen minutes later, she calls me, and she says, I hate you. I hate your church. I will never come back. I said, what happened? She says, nobody is home. God doesn't consider me worthy to give a Bible study. I said, did you pray that God would open the door? She said, uh, I didn't think about it. I said, get in the car and pray. <laughs> she calls me 15 seconds later. I prayed and the door didn't open. Nobody is home. It's an apartment building. And you know, I said, lady, when did you pray? It was only 15 seconds ago. <laughs> Go back and pray. She says, I did. I said, no, that's no prayer. That's routine. Go and pray seriously. Labor as you mean it. She says, how long? I said, until the door opens. She says, how long? Until the door opens. She says, five minutes? No, until the door opens. She says, ten minutes? I said, you don't know English. Until the door opens. She says, half an hour. I said, lady, pray until the night comes and then the morning and you don't go home and you don't go to work and you get retired and you die in the car old praying until the door opens and she says oh I cannot do that that's too long I said that's the reason you don't get an answer because you are committed to anything else but prayer do you really want an answer then you need to really pray Well, why should I change God? No, prayer doesn't change God. Prayer changes you. And the more time you spend with him, the more you become like him. Go back in the car and pray until the door opens. She says, that's very hard. I say, what's this? That's the deal. You pray in the car until the door opens and I'm not going to eat. And that's sacrifice for me. And I'm going to pray in my office until the door opens. When you call me that the door opens, then I eat. She got in the car, 2 o'clock. I got in the office, 2 o'clock. 5.30, she called me. Crying, Pastor, you will not believe what happened. I said, tell me quick, I'm hungry. <laughs> she says, I prayed for 15 minutes. The way I know to pray. And nothing happened. And I got frustrated and I opened my eyes. I said, Lord, I know I'm not worthy. Please open the door. I said, lady, you just now started to pray. She says, what do you mean? I said, prayer is not routine. It's the opening of the heart 
to God as to a friend. And she says, when I say, Lord, I'm frustrated. I know I don't deserve it. Pastor, the door opened. And she says, I stopped praying and I ran. And it was a guy taking the garbage to the trash container. And I said to him, would you let me in the apartment building? I go to apartment 14 to give them a Bible study. He says, why didn't you ring the bell? She says, I did. Nobody's home. But I'm going to stick the Bible study under the door. He says, no, I cannot let you in. But I am angry. I am upset with you. And she says, why? You don't even know me? He says, I asked for a Bible study and nobody came. She says, hey, I can give you a Bible study. I don't care who. I have to give a Bible study today. He says, come in. She says, no, no, no. The pastor said that first time I should not come in. He says, I don't know how to study. You came. You need to come in and teach me how to study. And she says, pastor, I entered the apartment. And he was a big guy. Leather jacket, skeleton head on the back, ponytail, motorcycle people, you know? And she says, he sat me down and he left. And he, he closed the door and I was alone in his apartment. And he came back after 10 minutes with 11 other big guys. And I started to pray for safety. <laughs> and they were all motorcycle people. And he said to them, folks, we have been in drugs for 40 years. And we talked last week that drugs will kill us. And I prayed and I said, if there is a God in heaven, please send an angel and help us give up drugs. And God sent us an angel. Sit down and listen to her. And she said, Pastor, I started to cry. And I told them, I've been in drugs for 16 years too. And the pastor told me that as long as I focus on self, I will never grow. I need to focus on God and focus on others. I need to worship and I need to serve. And when I focus on God and others, God is going to focus on me. And she says, I guess if you want to change, you need to give a Bible study too. And they said, we don't know, teach us. And she said, I don't know either, but I have a DVD and a study guide. And so they put the DVD in the DVD player and we all watched. And pastor, all 12 men and myself, we were all crying. And they said, we have never heard anything so good in our life. Please come again next weekend. And then she said, pastor, I came at church at 11 o'clock and it's 5.30 and I am not shaking and I have no need of drugs. And I told her, when you focus on God, he focuses on you. She came next Sabbath and next Sabbath and next Sabbath and forever since. Normal hair, <laughs> no rings, normal pants. You follow me? And I never told her to change because Christ in her did the change better than I would teach her. Yeah. God is calling the church, calling you to mean Prayer, to commit yourselves, not necessarily to transformation, not necessarily to bear fruits, but to prayer and to study of the word, to worship and to service. And when you focus on God, God is going to do in you what you cannot do for yourself. God bless you.